Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome to today's show and the Friday show. Brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarkets. Imports, domestics, microbrews. Best selection of beer anywhere. Maybe on a beautiful Father's Day weekend, you might prefer wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. The pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, without question, second to none. You know what would make a nice gift for Father's Day? How about a Brewer's Outlet gift card? Boom. There you go. Shakalaka. <laughs> I think that would make a great Father's Day gift. Yeah. Say, for example, you're a youngster that, you know, dad's carried you your entire life. You're living at home now. Oh, that's we digress. Stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you have a nickname. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got um, John Urschel next half hour. We're gonna make a little change. We're gonna put Phil Steele on to Monday. Okay. We got to get we got a guest on the Women's World Cup from the Washington Post. And since college football is ten weeks away, and the next Women's World Cup is forty eight hours away, <laughs> we'll go with that next. Um. And then we'll get Phil Steele, without question, we'll get Phil Steele coming up on on Monday. So what update do we have from down the road here? Seals are in great shape right now. Bottom of the sixth inning, the Seals are leading Bieber by a score of 7-1. to one. A little wow. dicey. It was a little dicey at the beginning. Seals are the home team today. And their pitcher today is Blaze Ziders. He gave up a mm-hmm. walk right out of the gate. And then the second batter uh, scored the uh, uh, the first batter for Bieber uh, scored. I uh, was able to get on base on an RBI and bring him all the way around. So it was kind of dicey. But then Ziders was able to get his next three batters out. So before even Seals Grove got to the plate first, uh, Bieber was leading one to nothing. And then Blaze Ziders then on offense stroked an RBI double, scoring Teague Hoover. So that tied the game one one after the first inning. Game stayed 1-1 till the bottom of the third inning. Nate Schoen had a hot shot to third base, but the first baseman dropped it. After the third baseman was you know, throwing it to first, he dropped it, but that allowed Ben Heim to score from second base. So Schoen with an RBI single. So the Seals took a lead 2-1 after three innings. Stayed 2-1 into the bottom of the fifth. 
Ethan Hoke with a single, Ben Heim with a bunt sacrifice, but the first baseman muffed that ball, and that brought Hoke all the way in from first base. Josh Nyland with an RBI single. That scored Heim, making it 4-1 to one seals. And then the great freshman Teague Hoover with a single. And then also in the bottom half of the fifth inning, uh, Ryan Allman with a triple, two RBI triples. So the floodgates were opening uh, for Seawans Grove with five runs in the fifth. And that has propelled them to a 7-1 lead. Bieber is now up in the top half of the seventh inning. They need six runs to tie it or it is over. And the Seals could be claiming a state championship in mere minutes. Incredible. Great performance. A small ball working to the Seals' favor today. And uh, to uh, Blaze Zider's credit, getting out of that jam early in the first inning, getting uh, the well, final normally, three batters normally. out in a uh, five-man uh, five at-bat uh, early on for Bieber. That was big for Blaze. Normally, if you're a very good pitcher, they have to get you early. If they don't get you early, they will never get you. That's the way the best ones are. Well, this is exciting for the area, isn't it? It's on Eagle 107, by the way. And uh, we also supply subtitles for those who don't understand the play-by-play. <laughs> and anytime you want, we could do a live look-in. Well, where are they right now? Top of the 7th. Top of the 7th? Yes, getting ready to start top of the 7th. Hmm. Wow. And we got John Urschel at 335, huh? That's right. And, of course, when we booked that, little did we know. <laughs> well, no, the, no, the top of the seventh, they, they get them out. The, what, top yeah. of the seventh inning? Yeah. They can get a three up, three down possibility. Sure. Hmm. Ziders right now at 88 pitches. You're allowed up to 105 in high school ball. Are they, or have they just started the top of the seventh? Uh, they have. First batter up right now has two strikes. So what, how about if we take a break and then we'll do a live looking? Okay. Sounds good. As we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors and Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, is ready for all of your warm weather activities. Camping, picnics, grilling, visit Brewers Outlet first for microbrews, imports, domestic specialties. They got them. Grab some pickles at the Pickle Bar, Steve Jones's favorite place. Snacks? Brewers Outlet has that covered. Soda, sports drinks? Check. Weekly specials, too. And there's lots of convenient parking. So get all the refreshments everyone will love for your next outdoor gathering at Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, Reagan Street, Sunbury. All right, welcome back. Uh, okay, top of the seventh inning. This is it for Beaver. The first two have reached base, courtesy of a base hit. First and second, nobody out. Seelands Grove three outs away from winning the state championship. Let's go to Medler Field, Lebrano Park, and pick up Ray Moyer and the voice of today's game, Kevin Hur. No, can't hang on to it. The ball's kicked into the shortstop spot originally. Hoover, Heim made a nice play on it, flipped it to Hoover. Hoover just couldn't quite squeeze it to go off. Yeah, I think Teague was was worried about trying to get the double play because he knew uh, um, Pantalia was going to go down the base path in a hurry, and uh, he tried to get out of his glove in a hurry, and uh, 
wasn't able to hold on to it. So now I think we have a timeout for the for um, Hansen to adjust his socks. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Nevertheless, they call a timeout. The second base umpire comes out and says, okay, let's go. What fun would it be to go one, two, three in the last No, inning? no. That takes no, all the fun you out. Earn, you got to earn this That's a right. little bit. Let's load the bases with nobody out and see what we can do from there. Finch on third, Hanson on second, Pontely on first. And at the plate, what was the starter, Jack Hanson, now the second baseman. Still 7-1 here in the bottom, excuse me, the top half of the seventh inning. Ziders trying to finish this one for a complete game. That one is a ball. Base is loaded. Nobody out. Ziders decide to go for the wind-up here. Uh, obviously feels more comfortable going wind-up here. Hopefully he can throw some strikes and get some outs. And that one high for ball two. And the Seals not, at, uh, not cutting the run off as the run at third really doesn't mean a ton. Siders with a 2-0 pitch. Called strike. A little bit up, and uh, he got the call. Finch at third. Hansen at second. Pontelli at first. Jansen's at the plate with nobody out, and a 2-1 count makes it 3-1 now on the pitch outside. Zider showing a little bit of fatigue now, here, I think. I was just going to ask you, how long do you think he goes this, if his fatigue's showing? Here comes the pitch, and that's ball four, and that'll score a run. And I think that's going to do it. So Hanson now will move to third, Pontelli to second. And here comes Coach Byler, and here comes Ryan Reich right behind him. And that will set up a chance to close this one out. A nice round of applause for Ziders, who pitched a game where he only gave up two runs. On five hits, walked a couple. Ziders will go to first now, and Danny Schock will come out of the game. And now this will give the Seals a chance to bring in Reich, the freshman. Three and one on the season. He has an ERA of 1.33. Struck out 38, walked 18, has given up nine runs, 21 hits in his 14 appearances and 31 in two-thirds innings. Ah, he's no longer a freshman this part yeah. of the year. Yeah. <laughs> when you get over 25 yeah. innings, yeah, you, you lose your freshman <laughs> status. He, he pitched in the semifinals of states. Now he's pitching in the finals of states. No pressure. Bases loaded, nobody out. Yeah, right where, he, right where a closer wants to be. So if I have this correct, Hansen will be at third, Pontelli at second, Jansen's at thir- uh, at first, and Manstringello to the plate. That sounds about right. And tomorrow is pitching, and uh, <laughs> I don't know is on third. I don't know is on third. <laughs> no, that was earlier. I think I had I don't know in the game. That was that was when the Bobcats made their pitching change because the whole infield changed at that moment. <laughs> So one run already in here at the top of the seventh inning, and that's been the first run since the top of the first inning. That's how well the Seals' defense and pitching has been. And, you know, we, you talked about it in the pregame with uh, Coach Byler. He feels good pitching can defeat good hitting, and it's done a pretty good job to this point. We need some good pitching for three more outs. And now, right, now you need to finish off that good pitching. 
Uh, and this kid for a freshman has, uh, for any high school pitcher, he's got good stuff. Throws the ball in the low 80s. He's got a decent curveball. Tough as nails. So Hansen is at third. Pontley at second. Jansen as at first. And at the plate, Vince Manstrangello, the 375 hitter, four home runs on the season. He has 11 extra base hits, leads the team in that category. All of them have been doubles. And I don't believe he has been on tonight. He is uh, Today he struck out once and flied out twice. Correct. Here's the windup and the pitch. Inside, four ball, makes him flinch just a little bit. Again, if you're going to miss, miss inside. Reich will fire. Boom. Hit him right on the helmet, and that'll score a run. So that one will score Hansen from third base. It'll put Pontelli on third, Jansen on second, and Manstrangello on first, and now tighten it up to 7-3. to three. And we saw this moments ago, uh, in, well, it's been a little longer than moments ago, but we saw this uh, with Souders, uh, Soudersburg coming in here earlier, or uh, Souderton coming in earlier in the uh, game prior to this when they were down about five runs going into the bottom of the sixth inning and ended up coming back and winning that one. A big rally for a, for a win. And, and it shows you just can't count anybody out at this level. Yeah, well, Beaver's here for a reason. They're a really good team, and there's no quitting these guys. Um, and you wouldn't expect them to quit. The Seals got to just settle down and, and and get some. Ryan's got to throw some strikes, and uh, people got to make some plays behind them. So Porto now, the sophomore, is the runner at first. So we reset with Pontelli at third, Jansen at second, Porto at first, and now the tying run coming to the plate with the with the first baseman, Alec Berg. So Berg with the bases loaded, nobody out. Inside and high, and Wright throws another ball. Yeah, once again, the adrenaline in him is, is causing him to throw a little bit high. Needs to focus, control it a little bit better. Here's the pitch. High again, throw back to third. And back in time is Pontelli. And that's asking for a batter interference on that throw, but the batter did not move. Yeah, he didn't intentionally get in Metzger's way, so no call by the umpire. Two balls, no strikes, no outs. Bases loaded, tying run at the plate. Berg is the batter at the plate. Outside corner called strike. You can hear the fans right to left cheer. Yeah. <laughs> That's right before yeah. the pitch. Beaver fans to the left. After the pitch, Sealands Grove fans to the right. Wind up of the pitch, swinging a drive into center field. Backing up is Nyland. Sets up underneath it, makes the play. Here comes the runner from third. Keep the he runner will score, first. and the runner from second will advance as well. We got, a, got an out. <laughs> first out on the inning as Pontelli comes in to score. Jansen's will come to first, has come to third. And the pinch runner, Porto. Will end up staying at first base. Runners on the corner, one out. Now, ground ball right to one of the infielders, and let's get a double play to end this game. Zach Hansen, the senior left fielder. 7 4. 
after a three-run top of the seventh inning. Tying run once again at the plate. And Hansen. One out. Shows bunt high for a ball. Hansen one for two today with a walk and a, a single and a strikeout. Right at the stretch or in the uh, stretch once again. He throws to the plate again, showing bunt, pulling back for a ball. Two balls, no strike, one out. Runners on the corners. Hansen in a dream position if you're a batter right now. And he will take for a called strike. Yeah, again, squaring the bunt, trying to get in uh, Reich's head, but Ryan threw a strike. He needs to find his spots here. Watching Jansen's closely at third. Here's the windup of the pitch. Outside, just a whisker. Three and one. Yeah, you can't let up here. He's still got to throw hard, throw a strike. Right, with an opportunity as this place is about ready to explode. Walked him. Bases loaded again. That'll put Hansen at first. Jansen's now at third, and Porto, the pinch runner, at second. And we have the tying run at first base. Winning. Go-ahead run yep. coming to the plate. The potential uh, winning run, the definite go-ahead run by Mason Rose at the plate. And ironically, Rose was our relief pitcher for uh, the Bobcats. Yeah, Mason Rose 0 for 2 with a walk. Um, one of their better hitters of throughout the season. But I mean, Ryan's just got to, he can't let, he can't beat the Seals by himself. He's got to throw strikes and let his teammates make plays. That's, that's his number one priority is just get the ball across the plate. 7 to 4. Seals lead it. There you go. Called strike. Top of the seventh inning. If the Seals can close this one out, giving up less than the next two runs, it will be over. Here's the windup and the pitch. Outside for a ball. Yeah, fastball just missed outside. One ball, one strike, one out. Bases loaded. Here comes the pitch. Swung on. Down the third base side, foul. Yeah, it was a delayed foul call, but it was foul. Yeah, yeah, it didn't didn't hit it real hard. Uh, a three bouncer down the line, and it was fouled by about three or four feet. More importantly, he's up ahead of the the batter now, one and two. Now he can make a good pitch. Like in relief here, in the top of the seventh inning, in a dream moment, no question for the young pitcher. This is what you this is what you practice in the backyard if you're a reliever. <laughs> this opportunity to close it out in the state championship. There's a throwback to second. It goes into center. No, it's cut off quickly by Heim. Boy, that was almost disaster. They had the pickoff play. Uh, Reich was going from the mound, and it was a set play. The catcher put his glove down for this timing. Uh, Reich turned. He just threw a little high. They had him. Uh, he just threw a high, and uh, great job by Ben Heim backing it up so nobody advanced. Heim just gets to that ball before it hits the grass. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a run. Yes. One ball, two strikes, one out. Here's the windup of the pitch. Oh, third oh. strike on the outside corner. Huge pitch by Ryan Wright. And Mason Rose goes to the dugout, chattering. 
Uh, borderline outside pitch, but you know what I always told the kids when I coached? Don't trust the ump. That's right. If it's That's close, you got to swing. Uh, especially with that two-strike count. Oh, uh, they can taste it now. Base is loaded. Michael Champ, the right fielder at the plate. Here's the pitch. High for a ball. Seven to four, two outs. Trying to end this and bring the first state championship back home to Sealands Grove. Wind up and the pitch. Swung on. Ground ball. Schoen's got it. Schoen fires it to first. That's State champion Sealands Grove seals. The seals hang on and win it seven to four in the state championship. Time to line up the parade and get ready to hang another championship banner in the gym. What an unbelievable finish to an unbelievable season for these kids. No one expected these kids to do much of anything. Competitive, yes. Win the league title. Win the district title. Win a state playoff game. Here they are, Flag Day 2019 (laughs) state champions. What a great job by the kids. What a great job by the staff. First appearance for the Seals baseball team in the state championship. And they've done it. Seven to four. Seven runs. Ten hits. One error to four runs. Five hits and four errors. A valiant effort by the Bobcats in the top of the seventh inning. Scoring three runs with the bases loaded. And the ground ball, Schoen tracks it down, fires it over to first and puts it away. Kevin Hur and Ray Moyer with the championship call at Medler Field, Lebrano Park, Salins Grove. State baseball champions. John Herschel, next half hour, here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet. Father's Day normally means a new tie, a pair of socks. If Dad is really lucky, maybe some new golf balls. Well, Sunbury Motors is honoring Dads with the father of all sales. SMC has 125 new trucks with savings up to 16 grand. The Ford F-150 has been the number one selling vehicle for 42 consecutive years. And one is sold every 29 seconds. SMC has 2019 F-150s from 25904. Plus, there's 0% financing for up to 72 months on 2019 F-150s. There's 16 of the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger 4x4s in both extended and crew cabs starting as low as 34870. And Sunbury Motors needs your old truck, so they'll give you the most money for your truck trade, period. It's the father of all sales going on now. So hurry into Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And today's game is brought and today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. It is a great read. The book is entitled Mind and Matter, A Life in Math and Football. Uh, Louisa Thomas and, of course, John Urschel wrote it together, and we're very pleased to be joined by John Urschel. John, welcome. It's great to have you back. Steve, it's great to be with you. We haven't talked in so long. It's been uh, it's been too long. It's been lo- far too long, John. Uh 
I'll start with a, a different tack to this. I remember uh, doing quarterback club with you, and you had told me earlier that year, he says, you know, I wish everybody would just stop asking me about math. I want to be known as somebody who can play football, too. And I asked you nothing but football questions that day, and you leaned over and said, hey, thanks. How important was it for you at that stage of your life to not just be known as the math guy playing football, but a guy that could really play football? It was really important to me. It was uh, it was a time in my life where I felt like I was a very good football player, and I just I didn't want that to be overshadowed. That I felt like, you know, I was just a very good offensive lineman. I was a good Big Ten offensive lineman, and I wanted uh, I didn't want that to get overshadowed. Right, At, and, and playing though at Penn State, let's face it, there are a lot of twists and twists. If I recall correctly, your first start was in FedEx Field against Indiana, if I recall correctly. You have a good memory. So, close. So, this was not my first start, but this okay. was uh, this was like pretty much the first game that I really played serious time in. I mean, what happened that game, we had, uh, at that time, our center was a guy by the name of uh, Doug Klopatz. Yep. And uh, he went down the very first drive of the game. And so Wisniewski was playing right guard at this time. And uh, typically, you know, the center goes down, you put the center in. So at that point, Ty Howell was the backup center because, uh, well, Matt had mono, but uh, Coach Paterno decided that he didn't want Ty to go in, but instead he wanted me to go in at guard and Wisniewski to move over to center. And I played the entire game minus, like, five plays. Right. All right, you come to Penn State, and the idea is that you're not going to end up at MIT. You wanted to be a football player when you got here, as you documented in your your book. Uh, what was the process for you becoming a football player, and then what started you on the road of being a serious collegiate mathematician? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that uh, when I got to Penn State as a football player, I was very raw. I was undersized, and the thing I really focused on was just uh, keeping my head down and getting to work. I uh, I always tell people that uh, I, I had so much more math talent than football ability, I would say, and, you know, math has always come easier to me, but football, man, it just took a lot of hard work, like a lot of hours of just dedication and deciding that, I'm going to make myself into a good football player, and I'm going to contribute. I mean, when I uh, when I was recruited by Penn State, I was the uh, you know I was a two star recruit. No one really had interest in me, and I was I think I was like the 26th out of 27 people they signed that year, and the seventh offensive lineman. So, yeah, I, the yeah, number I of really time, sort of yeah, yeah. The number of times uh, I ran into you at Starbucks, and you were there with your dad. And you were both oh. were on your the number of times you guys were on your computers. Yeah, pretty uh, high. I mean, yeah. I uh, yeah. I just uh, Starbucks. Like I've always been a big fan of uh, of doing math, doing work in coffee shops. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Exp- what was that bonding experience like? Because you'd be there with Dad. I mean that, and I always thought that was really cool. It, it seemed like you were sharing a lot together, even though you had computer screens in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad visited me all the time. He was like, uh, 
you know, he he really enjoyed Penn State and me playing at Penn State. And my dad retired. He was a thoracic surgeon. And so he, you know, he loved learning. I loved learning and sort of like learning together, even though we might be learning different things, was something that we uh, we did often when I was in college. Your mother, though, supported everything you ever did. She, as you point out in the book, she would work the concession stand at high school and the whole deal. Mm-hmm. But would it be fair to say she was not completely enamored with you playing football? <laughs> not, not exactly. She is, uh, she is not your typical football mom. She, uh, she will support me in just about anything I do, even if she's not the biggest fan of it. And uh, yeah, football. This was not her. This was not her favorite thing in the world. In fact, I think in the book you said she described that you were the one that was next to the guy that was hiking the ball. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This is, this is exactly right. She would come to every game, cheer me on, you know, support me in every way possible. But, uh, yeah, she was not enamored by football. She was. Uh, she cared a lot more about uh, about science and, you know, technology. All right, so when you're at Penn State, then the opportunity then arises where you can not only learn math at, a, at the highest level, but you could also teach it. What did it take for you to teach a class, and what did you learn about math from a teacher's point of view that made you a better mathematician? That's a, that's a great question. So it actually wasn't too tough to be able to teach. I mean, the toughest thing was just, uh, you know, talking to the football department and making sure, you know, the academic advisors on the football team are good with it. The coaches are good with it because when you're teaching a course, you know, you have to, you have to be there for exams. You can't, uh, you know, you can't miss these things. And so we made sure that all the scheduling worked. And uh, because I had already graduated with my undergrad, and I was a graduate student in the Penn State math department. I mean, this is what uh, graduate students can do. And so I decided I wanted to teach a couple courses because I thought I might want to be a professor and I wanted to get some experience. And I'll say it was absolutely amazing teaching at Penn State. And one of the biggest things I learned sort of about math from teaching at Penn State is more important than my students sort of, uh, you know, remembering some math formula or something of that sort is that they just are a little bit better at thinking quantitatively by the time they're done with my course. In the sense that, you know, math fundamentally is a tool to help you solve problems and think quantitatively. And so I hope everyone who takes my class feels like they're at least a little bit of a better thinker by the time they're done with it. Sometimes if you are a great athlete, I'll give an example, Ted Williams, great hitter. Mm -hmm. Ted Williams, when he became the manager of the Washington Senators back in the late 60s, had to discipline himself because even though he worked at hitting, it still came easy to him, and he had to remember that what was easy to him may not be easy to somebody else. Did you have to – you've always loved math and it's been easy for you. In teaching, have you had to discipline yourself to remind yourself that what may be easy to me is not easy to them? Yes, but uh, not as much as you would think. I think that this is something 
that all teachers, I think, go through to some extent. The fact that you're teaching some material or some subject means that you're an expert at it. And because you're an expert, certain things start to feel obvious, start to feel like they come immediately. And so I really, I really try to assume as little as possible. And I think sort of not making that mistake is something that just comes with teaching experience. This is just something that I think every teacher sort of learns and gets better at as time goes on. You went through one of the more tumultuous times that any college athlete can go through here at Penn State. In the end, how much did that help you grow as a man and around with your teammates? Uh, I think it was a really a great sort of opportunity for growth. And I have to say that uh, there's no time period in sort of Penn State football history that I would rather be at Penn State than during that period. I, uh, I have to say that, first of all, I was honored to be able to represent my football team and my university as sort of someone, you know, facing the world and sort of showing that, you know, Penn State University is an amazing place full of, you know, all of these people doing great, fantastic things and that, you know, a university isn't defined by, like, the actions of one single person. And uh, that was something that meant a lot to me, to be able to give back to a university that's given me so much. And I have to say that uh, it definitely helped me grow as a man to sort of put things in perspective. Right. You you were talking earlier a couple answers ago, John, about, um, you know, there are certain parts of math that become obvious. In football, something that is not obvious is that by the end of the season, and I'm not telling you, but I'm telling the audience, every single player is hurt by the end of the season. The last oh, yeah, week, of course. Yeah, yeah, the last week, and I, I, I knew you were banged up. I forgot it was your hip. I think I'm right about that. It was your hip that was bothering you going into the Wisconsin yeah. game. And, of course, you and I know that we, we fly out on the plane and the whole world thinks that, you know, 9-2 Wisconsin is going to take a baseball bat to Penn State. And mm-hmm. not only did Penn State win, but it was impressive. What was that like to be in that moment, knowing that there was no bowl game, it was your last game, and guess what? You went out doing what you just did. It was an amazing feeling. I mean, you know, when people ask me about my favorite, you know, Penn State football game, they ask me about, you know, you know the uh, 409 win. They ask me about you know, triple overtime versus Michigan. They asked me about all these different games. My favorite Penn State game was my senior year at Wisconsin because, like you said, first of all, Wisconsin was really in the media. They were talking about sort of why they should be considered for the Rose Bowl. They were making a case for themselves for a BCS Bowl, and they were very much looking past us. We were 24 or 25-point underdogs, and really no one thought we had a shot. We had sort of been written off. And, you know, we just decided, like, that week of practice was one of the best sort of weeks of practice that, like, I've seen a Penn State football team have in my entire career. And we just went out there and we decided that, no, we are going to sort of rewrite this narrative, and we're going to win. And we just went out there and we did it, and it it was an amazing experience. 
You know, I remember after practice that week and then getting on the plane with you guys on Friday, uh, I, I, I saw Jack Ham and he said, what do you think? I said, I said, I think they may kill this team. Uh, he said, really? He said, yeah, they were that good in practice that week. Look, you get drafted by the Ravens. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the pro experience and the, and the, and the business part of, the, of it? It was, uh, it was okay. I, uh, I have to say, so first of all, of course, there's something amazing about you know, playing a sport you love at the highest level against some of the world's greatest athletes. But uh, you know, there's just certain things that you get. Well, I should say, I shouldn't say that you get in the college environment. There's certain things that you get at Penn State in that sort of football environment that just right. aren't there in the league. And people would always tell me that when they would come back and visit that I didn't really understand when I was playing at Penn State, just how different it is, how close you are with your teammates, what it's like to sort of go out every Saturday representing your university, sort of a, you know, a place that you're so intimately tied to, and you know, playing in front of like over 100,000 fans, it's, uh, it's something special. And in the league, the concept of team is a little looser. You know, a pro team doesn't really have you know, that much of a commitment to you in many ways, and you're more like an independent contractor. And guys on the team, while they're not nearly as close, a lot of them are, like, competing for jobs. Like, you know, in college you're competing for, let's say, a starting spot or something, but in the pros you're competing to, let's say, feed your family. And it's just just a different environment. And so I have to say Penn State football is uh, absolutely my – favorite time period of my football career not high school not professional but penn state football and john you had to make the decision to, at some point because you were making progress in this league playing center playing guard w- with the ravens but then you made the decision you know what it's time to walk away mm-hmm. was it difficult to make that decision and you know obviously i've read what you wrote in the book but explain to everybody what factors that were so important to you that say, you know what, this is the right thing to do and the right time to do it? Yeah, it was a, it was a tough decision. It's hard to know when, you know, when's the right time, but uh, it felt like the right decision. Looking back on it, I'm, uh, I'm very happy with uh, retiring exactly when I did, not any sooner, not any later. And a lot of things went into it. I, uh, you know, I became a father I, uh, you know, I became more and more sort of invested in my mathematics career. I mean, I had started my PhD in mathematics at MIT, and I started to become sort of and care more and more about sort of my longevity, sort of like uh, being healthy and raising my daughter and doing mathematics for uh, for many, many decades. To that end, how fulfilling has your life become? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, I have to say, I just, I looking back, I, I just had, for me personally, I just had the most amazing football career. Like I'm so just, uh, you know, overwhelmed with the experiences that I've had, and I have to say, I'm so happy, you know, finishing my PhD in math at MIT. I graduate next spring. Raising my daughter has been, you know, this amazing thing where it's, you know, it's something new every day. And uh, I'm just very happy with what I'm doing. 
Well, finally, this book isn't just uh, good. It's terrific. Uh, what kind of reaction have you received to the book? I've, uh, I've gotten a lot of really positive reactions. You know, I've, I was on the media tour. Uh, it made the New York Times bestseller list. And uh, one of the most interesting things is that, you know, when you go on morning shows like Today's Show or, you know, Strahan and Sarah, there's, you know, there's always producers and they read the book. And you wouldn't believe how many producers, when I was in New York City on my book tour, told me that the book sort of felt like a love letter to Penn State. Like, they said that by the time they were done sort of, like, reading the portions about Penn State, it made them all want to send their children just to Penn State and nowhere else. And they're right about that. John, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's been far too uh, long. Yeah. No, go ahead, John. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, uh, no, and it wasn't, I have to say, like, it wasn't purposeful. It wasn't something I thought about when I wrote this. I really just wanted to talk about my experiences and my college experiences and how it shaped me. And uh, it wasn't until people kept telling me that over and over again, you know, independently that I came to realize, you know, just how much of sort of an impact Penn State's had on my life. Well, and vice versa, the impact you had on people here. John, by the way, I just want to let you know, I mean, obviously I've done this job a long time, but I'm not going to speak to the math part. Obviously you're a genius. But you were a terrific football player here. Okay, you really were. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, I appreciate that, and I have to say that sort of my Penn State football career is something that means a lot to me.